frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I drink your milkshake. What we've got here is failure to Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cinefleck. I am your host, Ethan Colburn. Thank you for tuning back in. I appreciate you guys. Uh, I probably say this every episode, but I I always really appreciate you guys. Um, this week on the show, I have Jamie, who is Lexi's sister. If you are aware of Lexi from our first episode, she came on and talked about Little Miss Sunshine. She's one of my oldest friends, uh, and we had a great, great time with that. This week, uh, I had her sister Jamie on to talk about Do the Right Thing, the uh, Spike Lee masterpiece from 1989. It's a pretty spoiler-filled conversation, so if you haven't seen the movie, I definitely recommend checking that out in advance. Um, I it's this podcast is probably pretty different tonally from what you're used to, so it's a it's a heavy movie, and we tried to reflect that in the conversation, and then also we tried to tackle some of why this movie is important today, uh, some of some of the sort of racial issues in the film and then and then sort of correlated back to the topics that are being discussed in the present. Uh, we are two white people from Palo Alto and our opinions are our own, but uh, please I I would love I would love your feedback. This is a conversation. So um, you can contact me on any of my social media I leave in the description below. Um, this week we drank a sort of mint gin lemonade which was quite quite good i just put that recipe up um on my social media and i made an extra picture for that picture and uh i had a, I had a pretty fun night last night because of it <laughs> um if if this episode is a little heavy for you i i'm excited to announce that next week is legally blonde so uh, that's a, that's a really, really fun movie. And we drank Cosmos for that with my, uh, friend Sophie. So look forward to that. That's a, that's a, that's gonna be a really fun episode. Um, without further ado, let's get into the show. Thank you, everybody. Jamie, thanks for coming on. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Ethan? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good overall. I mean, little, I think, I think scarred? this movie like shook both of us. I'm a little scarred. Um, I knew that coming in. Yeah. I definitely wanted to watch this movie because I felt like there's so many white voices in media, and I wanted to represent and respect to black boys and now i'm sitting here realizing i have no authority to talk <laughs> Spike yeah Lee. yeah like yeah i have no authority to say anything but i'm going to do my best and i'm going to be earnest and i'm going to try my hardest not to say anything that doesn't represent the honest truth and that's the double truth ruth that's the truth ruth yeah no i mean like i i i want this podcast to be about like I don't want to make a podcast that's about the definitive telling of the movie. Of so course. it's like it's it it's about your experience with the movie, your reactions with the movie, how the movie made you feel and stuff. We are two white people sitting here 
doing a podcast, like, like, I, I am not going to have the final word on Spike Lee and, you know, so, but, but I mean, you know, I, I think we'll do our best and, uh, drinks. Okay. We can have our drinks. So <laughs> Easy topic. we're drinking wine now cause I ran out of what I made we earlier. S- we switched. Yeah. So I, th- I was thinking about like Brooklyn's initially cause this is shot in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It's very much like Brooklyn's like a character as much as, as, as much as anything is in this movie. But, uh, it's a, Brooklyn's kind of a wintry drink. And honestly, you picked a perfect day to do this movie. It's, it's literally the hottest day of the year. It got to 106 today. This is the hottest heat wave we've had all year. It's 104 today. It was 104 yesterday. Yeah. It's very, I read 106. Oh my God. Yikes. I I don't, I don't doubt it. It was ridiculously hot. Uh, I, it was kind of a mint lemon limeade. Basically, I just wanted to make a drink that was like, uh, that cooled us down because we were really fucking hot. (laughs) Boiling. Like, I think it turned out well. uh, Yeah. I need to figure out if it's already a thing or if we can call it. That's the truth, Ruth. The truth, Ruth. That's the truth, Ruth. Is that too, like, long to, like, order at a bar and be like, hey, can I have a That's the Truth, Ruth? I honestly don't think so. Does it roll so off the tongue? So, I would like to say um, to your listeners yeah. that my middle name is Ruth. And so, <laughs> I have I have actually a stronger affinity to those named Ruth than I do Jamie. Poor Kay. Um, Jamie, I was named after my father. Mm-hmm. So, my father's name is James, and I was named Jamie, and... I was named Ruth after his mother, and she has been described to me as the sweetest woman in the world, very caring, very giving, and awkward enough, um, her death is the reason my parents started dating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I was named after his side of the family, and for some reason I just always gravitate to those named Ruth, um, and like Ruth Gator Bing- Ginsburg, Ruth yeah, yeah. Bader Ginsburg, sorry. Um, that's a good Ruth. That's a great Ruth. That's, a, that's the best Ruth of all time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no better Ruth than that. I can't compete. Um, yeah. But I love... I love the name Jamie, but I love being called Jamie Ruth. And there's only really one person in the world that calls me that. Oh. My mom. Oh. <laughs> Shout out to Penny. We should uh, say that our first... Our my first podcast with was with Lexi. You're Lexi's sister. I am Lexi's if anyone sister. Is, if anyone knows Lexi from the podcast or just otherwise, Jamie, Lexi, Lexi, Jamie. We are the Livingston uh, Girls. Livingston Girls. Now you know my full name. <laughs> you can piece it all together. <laughs> yeah, we never said it straight, but that that would do it. Uh, yeah, your mom's next, I guess. Oh, have fun with Penny. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about the movie. Do the right thing. Oh my God. Before we get into like do the right thing I, I want to make sure we're touching on like why is this is this is like such a big question so pare it down as you want but why is this movie just like so important right now because nothing's changed mm-hmm. we talked about this during the movie i was very vocal during it it is definitely a period piece in the fact that it shows its age but it's not in terms of its message um and that's the most heartbreaking truth um, I, I, I mean, besides the fact that at the end they show, I think, five or six names 
of individuals who were murdered by police and we know in the last decade that's tripled it grows and it grows and it grows and it's it's the most heart-wrenching thing and I feel ashamed I want to sit there and I want to listen and I want to absorb and I want to be an ally that hears but I also want to know what the right action is Right. And I feel like his internal struggle with do I to stand up to my brother, someone I love, someone I care about, for someone I know is in the right, is a struggle that is still ongoing today. It's very well said. It's very well said. I was thinking about this the whole movie. <laughs> well, I mean, you did better than I could, just summing that up, I mean, briefly. But, um, yeah, I mean, so much has happened in the last few months let yet so little has happened i don't know like it's, it's you know what like, i mean like it's like it's it, like the wool has lifted from our eyes so the whole world's changed but let's be honest what the world is like this the whole time yeah yeah and then and then just to put this in context i mean people often like famously this was snubbed for for a pest picture nomination at the time mm-hmm. and and the movie that won was driving miss daisy Yikes. which uh which is very much I mean, Morgan Freeman, and he's driving around this old woman, and it's very much like she has her old opinions on race, and that's sort of a thing of the past, and we're moving her into the present. And this is very much like racism is now, racism is happening, and it's ingrained in our culture. And not only that, but I thought it was interesting that um, a lot of the racism comes from young people. It doesn't seem like it's even, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's more rooted in old people than it is in young people. It seems like, like, like Sal's son is more racist than him. It's, it, 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 it's the mayor that's, that's trying to stop people from being racist towards the Korean shop owners. Like it, it's, it, it, it seems, it seems like things are progressing towards a more racist culture and not even a less racist culture in some ways. Oh, I definitely agree. I think the characters are even an allegory for how time has progressed where older generations really lean on um, Martin Luther King's message of hope and love. And I think a common theme throughout this movie is the dichotomy of civil unrest Mm -hmm. and on one side there's the peaceful civil unrest where you're showing the violence undone to you and on the other side is showing your frustration with the violence undone to you Mm -hmm. and at the end they show two quotes one from martin luther king one from malcolm x and the one from martin luther king it talks about how violence only leads to more destruction and malcolm x talks about how you need to be violent sometimes to survive it is the only choice you have it is the intelligent option and sitting here in 2020 i can't argue anger isn't a powerful motive and isn't a powerful tool to get change i can't yeah I, as painfully slow is it is with even all of the protests and some riots and just civil unrest going on now, 
we are having more conversation around this issue than we have since I've ever been alive. I I agree. I like I I I genuinely don't know what I can add that you haven't already said, but I I echo all of your sentiments. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about characters or scenes? Like, what would oh you God. rather do? We can do both eventually, and the whatever you want. I love the characters in this movie, okay. but I have a hard time remembering all of them. Well, but like, if you if you do. And this doesn't necessarily like you can take you can take a bad character too. It doesn't necessarily have to be like who you'd want to be best friends be with. Best friends yeah, with. yeah. Like, you don't need just a... just you know just for the record. Of you course. Take you want. Uh, I'm best character. I think just from a feminine energy standpoint, my favorite character is definitely Jade. Mm. And I think it's because I relate to her on a certain level where she. Is extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, knows handle ha- how to handle herself, and is also very secure in herself in a way that I admire. Um, and I think, unfortunately, she isn't allowed to play with her own devices as much as she is a prop for Mookie's development. And I think she should really have been allowed to be her own self. So why is she? your favorite character if you think she's also like a prop i i know to challenge you a bit <laughs> i know it sounds weird it sounds weird to be like i think someone who doesn't allow doesn't allow to shine is one of my favorite characters um i think she's a prop because her main controversy is around her getting along with mookie's boss sal and there's some weird dynamic where they're obviously really friendly with each other and both are very insistent that is misconstrued by Mookie. And then Mookie is overreacting about it. And through the storytelling, we're led to believe that that is true. Um, through the Ingles, through the side eyes cast by different characters. I don't necessarily know. If they have a romantic dynamic. Um, But everything I see prior to that, she is self-assured. She can take care of herself. She's level-headed where a lot of these characters aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They show a lot of range of emotion within each character. And she's one of the few characters that you see restrained. Spike Lee touches on a lot of opposites in this movie, and their mm-hmm. brother and sisterhood is a definite show of opposites. And and is um, Spike Lee's actual sister? Yes, and is his actual Which sister. I was like, she looks exactly like Spike Lee, and I looked it up, and is is his actual sister? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. That's interesting. I don't. Um, we sort of talked a little bit about during the movie how the movie has certain blind spots with the way it treats disabled people with the way it treats women and stuff but i don't necessarily think that's unintentional i think a lot of this film is meant just to show sort of like the gray areas of racism and stuff and i think that um i i think that the fact that you 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 said that the first couple times you watched this you had you had poor empathy 
for the white family than you probably should have. I think that's I think that's intentional. Like I think he directs it such that they don't have indefensible stances. Like it's they they're in the wrong in a lot of ways, but you can see the good in some of their actions. And I think that and and I think that part of the reason this movie is powerful is because it um it's willing to show gray areas in its heroes and in its Helen's as well. I think that's part of the reason the movie is sort of powerful. I think I, I I completely agree. I think that's one of the reasons it's lasted for generations. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to think of this movie as one of the most amazing exceptions where you know it's a dated movie. You know it's a period piece. It's a basically a period piece that is timeless. The message, the anger... The frustration, the hope, the sadness, the joy, it's all timeless. But the costumes, the music, the setting, the world isn't. And I think it makes it more tragic knowing that this is eternal, this struggle. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, I, yeah, I, I, I end up feeling sort of hopeless I remember the movie being sort of sad and frustrating, but it it's hard not to feel sort of hopeless at the end of this. You know? Oh, we like, were so sad at the end. Yeah. We weren't like talking. We were kind no. of like shuffling around awkwardly. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh God, I don't know what to talk. I don't, okay. It's your turn. Well, it's my you, turn. Yeah, it's my turn. You don't have to talk anymore. Oh, goody. Jamie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Oh. Who are you going to pick? Can I, can I, can I take Brooklyn? You can take the city, Brooklyn. I'm gonna take. Though... I'm gonna take Brooklyn. Okay. I'm gonna take Brooklyn. Number two, the city, the the borough of Brooklyn, at number two. Um, we discussed think, this earlier. It's okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think that the town, um, I think that the setting plays a plays a really key role in this. I know, like, um, Spike Lee had to like he painted them more extreme colors so that you'd sort of feel the heat coming off the screen. And not only was it fucking hot today and were we like hot while we were watching this movie, but it does, it radiates off the screen. I mean, it's so, I could be watching this on the coldest day of the year and still feel hot. Like it just, it, you're, you're instantly in that. And that sort of just, that sort of heat of the city, the way like the fire hydrant is loosened and then the kids are all hanging out and the cops yeah. shut it down the kids all run away and it's sort of you get this progression of a regular day that's happening simultaneously with the progression of a really irregular day you know what i mean oh, that's a really good way of like it's it. it's like you you get to see both at the same time where you get to see the 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 three guys that are hanging out on the street corner sweet sweet dick willie or whatever and i i, I think that like you're you're waking up with the city. You're going to bed with the city. And the, the the city sort of is 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 sort of such a character unto itself. I definitely agree. I think the city has as much to do with the movie as any other character has any, yeah. to do with any other plot. The movie set anywhere else would not be do the right thing. Yeah, like the city has as much to do with everything going on with the trajectory of the story with the trajectory of the characters. And is it's a reason it's set in Brooklyn. I don't really, I can't really name the reason why it's set in Brooklyn. Pre, but you, 
gentrification Brooklyn yeah, too. Yeah, well, sort of... but you also that's like the weird thing. There's I have that random scene where the guy scuffs Doctor Bugging Out's shoes and like Bugging Out's like freaking out. He's bugging out. <laughs> he's like really upset about it, and he's like, "Why did you scuff my shoes?" And the guy's like, "Oh, whatever. It's not that big of a deal." And this guy's just coming into their neighborhood disrespecting their culture, disrespecting their property, and then acts affronted when he's accosted for it and says, I can live wherever I want. It's, I mean, that's the first time I probably heard the word gentrification. Gentrification is, that's the first time I probably heard that word. And I don't even think I registered it until I was in college. Yeah. Oh, you want to take your third pick here? Oh my God, oh my God. I, ugh. It's so hard. I okay. There's a lot of great characters. There's a lot of great characters. I think I'm gonna go with Demir. Mm, that's mm. a great pick. Again, this movie talks about dichotomy so much, and um, Ossie Davis and Ruby D were married um, during the filming of this. Yeah. Uh, and they were also civil rights activists during their time, and I think they represent a certain also type of dichotomy within the black community that I could not for a thousand years describe accurately um, but can identify and it's it's one half of really trying to manage the community and hold peace mm-hmm. while the other side is looking out for everyone making sure everyone's well taken care of. And that's mother-sister's role. And the the mayor's role is, you know, managing and holding people accountable. And I think you can see this most accurately in the smallest interactions they have with the main character. And if you watch um, mother-sister, at the very beginning of the movie, calls out to Mookie like, don't stress yourself out too hard. Watch out for yourself today. It's going to be a hot one. So that's her making sure he's taking care of himself and watching yeah. out for the community and like being an informational portal. And DeMayer is holding him accountable and saying at some point when he's doing a delivery, like, do the right thing. He's reiterating the message in the movie and he's saying, you know, hold yourself accountable. Make sure you're acting right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's well said. It's well said. I, I, I think that they're both um, super interesting characters, and it, and it makes sense that they were together because I just, I think that their chemistry is sort of just, immediate, you, you immediately feel it. Like, yeah. every time they're sort of talking, they're sort of hanging out, you, like, she she's pissed off at him, but she clearly, like, she's clearly side-eyeing him, like, ah, I like this guy, you know? There's like, a love-hate dynamic throughout this entire a, movie, and there's a love-hate dynamic between these two characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's really powerful with the two of them, which I think is really cool. And it, and I didn't realize until today that they were married, but it makes a lot of sense. Okay, it's your turn. You um, for number four, I feel, I feel bad taking a white character here. But I don't think this movie would be as good if Sal weren't in it. I think... Well, Sal was nominated for Best uh, Supporting supporting Actor. Yeah. So, 
Tanny Aiello, who I love in everything. I love in Moonstruck. I love in... Wasn't he in Home Alone? He was in... Uh, he was definitely in um, Dumb and Dumber. Oh <laughs> but like, he's been, in, he's been in a bunch of stuff. But Danny Aiello, I think... I think in the hands of a lesser actor, it would have just been like, oh, there's the racist pizza owner. And of course, he's he sucks. And he's, you know, like... I'm so glad he's in this and I'm so glad he sort of helmed that role because I do think that the way the way he sort of he does some things that are problematic but you can sort of understand the place that he's coming from and I think that I, I, I think I think that the way he makes you empathize with what should be the antagonist of the story I mean the true antagonist is his son but but his family's kind of like the antagonists of the story. Yeah. Um, I think that makes you challenge your own beliefs. I, I think that you wouldn't have that same internal struggle if he didn't play it with such heart and such like such care for both sides of the story, essentially. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think there's a reason the father is the, you know... Good Samaritan, the white knight, if you mm-hmm. will. And his sons are the polar opposites of what white people could go towards. Mm-hmm. You know, not not to be hard on myself, but weak-ass liberalism, where you agree and you want to do something, but you don't, you never actually stand up in hardcore racism where you're calling people the N-word, where you're calling people, you know, racist terms in your own language. There's a reason he's supposed to be kind of the middle of the both. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to have produced the yin and yang of this show, yeah, of white consciousness, definitely. And he's somehow the middle ground. But as we have grown as a young society that's trying to learn how to be better, that there is a certain dichotomy of recognizing that just because you're nice to one person, society thinks is below you doesn't mean you're a good person and they set it up really quickly where he they set up the dynamic really really soon in that first scene where like they're arguing over who's gonna sweep up the street and it's such a throwaway scene it should be yeah but it really sets up the whole dynamic of one person saying hey no you should actually do it you've been told to do it you should clean up your act like if we take the street as a cleaning up of the act it makes a lot more sense. That's well put, yeah. Like, the you know, the white knight saying, yo, racist, clean up your act, clean up the street. The white racist says, I'm not going to clean up my act. You should tell the liberal to clean up their act. Liberal is sheepish about it. Kind of throws it back off onto the racist. Kind of says, hey, you know what? I never mind. I think you should do it. You know, the the person we both agree with said you should do it. The person we both take authority from said you should do it. And he keeps throwing it back. Ignoring the fact that his father had told him to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is some weird dichotomy and weird symbolism with that that I can't even begin to comprehend. But there is... It kind, it does set up the film and it does set up the dynamic within the picture shop for the rest of the film. Uh, no, I completely agree. I, I has, has Spike Lee... That, that you know of, has Spike Lee sort of touched on the symbolism in the suns have you 
read into him doing I, that? Or I, was I'm it, not going to lie. Sort of your own interpretation. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't do enough research into Spike Lee. I didn't do enough research into this no, movie. I feel really guilty about it. Um, I did enough to recognize. I mean, there's a reason I haven't picked Tina as one of my favorite characters yet. Not that she's not a force to be reckoned with. Um, just because I feel uncomfortable with the position the actress was put in. And I feel like it dampened the power of the character. Um, and we could talk about that later. Um, I mean, do you want to touch on it now? If you want to touch on it now, we can touch on it now. I mean, I mean, Rosie Perez came forth in like a 2000 or 2001 interview um, saying that the reason they didn't show her face during the um, scene where they're rubbing ice on her boobs is because she was crying. And I think that's where I take a lot of my negative input for this movie is that they didn't treat the women on the set. And if they didn't treat the women on the set right, like how can you argue a clear and healthy representation of that if you're not respecting the women on set? And I mean, like you can see her... If you watch that scene, it's only a couple seconds long. Her chest is shaking. If you're looking for it, you can see her chest shaking. It's hard to say no. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's interesting that you took a female character at number one despite knowing that, despite sort of thinking that it's not a fair representation of women. I think it's interesting that you still loved the sister so much um is is there a reason that you that you think the sister is better represented than tina in the story i think it's the respect of the actress like if we if we come down to it do you think spike lee is going to disrespect his sister the way he disrespected rosie perez no of course not no like we all can say that people we love and hold dear we treat different from those that we're, you know, indifferent towards. And I think the reason she was able to be such a powerful character was because of her relationship to the director and the lead actor. Mm-hmm. And I think Rosie Perez didn't have that kind of power. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's well said. Do you want to take your fifth Hey, I want to point out that no one's taken Mookie so far. No one's taken the main actor so far. He, I, I do, th- I think he is sort of. I mean, until he throws the trash can, he's kind of a blank slate. Not only is he not there for his son, which is a whole other oh, issue, where he sees his I son mean, in the hallway playing with a truck and just goes, "Hey," and then hey, walks away. Yeah, yeah. Like no, he's I like mean, some he, other person on the street. Yeah, no, totally. I, I don't think that you can't relate to him because I think that you're seeing the world through his eyes and he's in an interesting place where he works for the pizza owners he works for he he, he works for a white family he's the only black guy in a he's, he's, he's the only black guy that's working for a white family but he lives in a black community and so he, you, you, you see both worlds through his eyes and I think that because of the way the day is structured, you don't... I mean, he, he doesn't take any sort of strong stances himself. Everything interesting happens around him. 
like I I I I I felt the same way with Almost Famous. Um, lots of great characters in that, and no one took the main kid in it because yeah. the kid's sort of a blank slate that's observing the world. You know, he's also a bad actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a bad actor. I don't. Think, I don't think, I don't think Spike think... Lee's a bad actor. I just. I don't think he's a great actor, but okay. that's fine. <laughs> no, I want to hear that. You can criticize Spike Lee. I I don't think you need to be a great actor. I felt the same way about Almost Famous. Actually, I think that the fact that Patrick Fugit in Almost Famous, I think that like there, there's there's times like Spike Lee isn't as bad of an actor because Spike Lee, I'm never like. I'm never like disappointed by him in this role. Like yes. I'm just sort of like I'm just sort of like okay, like he's he's not impressive. Like mm-hmm. Patrick Fugit, there's times where he's delivering lines and you're sort of like, oh, that like wasn't that good. But I think for him it actually enhanced the character because the character was unprepared for the world he was living in. He's basically. he's not only a blank slate. He's only pivotal in the role he chooses to be pivotal in. It's well said. Yeah. Yeah. He chooses to be pivotal in that moment. And you're kind of... they. You know he's going to be the pivotal character because they keep going back to him. I mean, you're screaming in your head. I don't know about you, Ethan, but I was screaming in my head, do something. Do something. Like, this is painful. This inaction is painful at this point. I can't, I can't, I can't sit here and watch you do nothing. And then he did something and it was, it was a cathartic relief. Right. It was a fuck yes. Like, yeah. In essential, in, in not so pleasant terms. Um, or polite. It was just like, okay, movement. It feels like it's a hot summer day. And you know what you feel like when you're on a hot summer day? I, I, I've just experienced it you feel stuck yeah you feel stuck where you are and you feel what um radio Rahim Rahim talks about which is static we feel mm-hmm. the push and pull we feel the pull of the heat and you feel the push to do something about it we feel the stagnation of your body yeah yeah and it does it it feels i think i think extreme heat as opposed to like extreme cool like extreme extreme heat just feels like especially if you don't have ac it feels like it feels like there's something that feels so helpless about extreme heat extreme cool it seems like okay i'm gonna put on a bunch of coats i'm gonna i'm gonna make a fire i'm gonna turn on the heater and i'm gonna sort of cozy up and sip a hot chocolate and i'm gonna like try to warm up extreme heat just it there's something about it that just feels like like you feel so helpless to the power of nature in some ways i don't know i 100 percent agree i think you don't only feel powers to the power of nature you felt powerless to your own body yeah your body is telling you i don't want to fucking move yeah i don't want to do anything just make me not sweat please yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your body's totally. like, I don't want to feel too exhausted. Please don't put me through anything. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you need to take your fifth character. Oh, God Jamie, damn. stop I'm postponing. sorry. You're really putting this off here. Okay, I'm going to do Mr. Senior... Love Mr. Daddy. Senior Love Daddy. 
Otherwise, no. Sam Jackson. Yeah, Samuel Jackson. He's the narrator of the story. You can't not love the narrator. Yeah, and not only is it the narrator, I think I think that I think that much like you know, I took the city as the character. I think I think he he carries it through the day. You know, you get to you 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 wake up with him in the morning. He starts playing the slow jams at night. You sort of there, there. There's an arc to the day of like what people are listening to, what he's saying on the radio is very much like in the neighborhood. He's, I mean, he's watching it outside his window. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he he doesn't. I don't think he ever leaves his radio booth. No, he isn't. But not only that. You know it's the next morning and everything's going to be the same as it always is because he says he his voice comes on the radio. Yeah. Like you know today's the same as yesterday. And he they Spike Lee does a, a fantastic job of this because Señor Love Daddy. Señor Mr. Señor Love Daddy talks about how the mayor has issued a blue ribbon commission to talk about the violence and not the death. Mm-hmm. He talks about the destruction of property, but not someone who was murdered by the police. And you know it's the same as every other day before you. And it's probably the most heartbreaking breaking, um, point of the whole movie where you come to realization where this community is still vilified for the loss that they love they warned i agree i agree i think i think at the same time it's heartbreaking there's something there's something sadly hopeful about it like i think i think that the fact like that night i mean when everything's burning and everyone's everyone's attacking each other and everything i think it does feels like the end of days and i think the fact that things rise again with the same radio host it simultaneously makes you feel horrified that you know that this is just the world that they live in but also it sort of it makes you feel hopeful that they live to that 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 he he he's like the sun rising i mean like he he he, com- he comes on in the morning it it happens again and I think there, there's something equally horrifying and satisfying, if that makes any sense. A hundred percent. I'm saying a hundred percent like a thousand times during this episode. I'm so sorry. It's fine. <laughs> I, I see what you mean by he not only is the dictator of time, but he's also the dictator of the norms. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, hell broke loose, but the world's still going to go on. My only differ is that to some that's a horror story and to some that's peace. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think we need to recognize to who that's a horror story for because to some... That's the pain of their community that they've lived in for thousands, for not thousands, but hundreds of years. And that's, that's a really hard thing to come to terms with because when I watched that scene today, I felt numb. 
When I watched that scene years back, I felt hopeful. And why do I feel numb when I felt hopeful before? And I think it's because I recognize now that that isn't actually the outcome that they were looking for. Just because everything goes back to normal isn't actually what they're looking for. They're looking for some substantive change. There's a certain type of hell and being repetitive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Did, did you want to add anything else? No, I. you have one last character to pick. I think okay. it's your turn. Um, Briefly before I get into characters, I, I, I think... I think that going back to this, I think, like, um, I mean, Spike Lee could have ended it on that night. No. He could have? I don't think so. I think he totally could have. Okay, I want to hear why you think you could have. Morning to night. One day. It's, it's, it's a day in the life. It's, it's a day in Brooklyn. And you, you, you progress from... I'm going to say seeming peace to total chaos. And I think that there is something powerful about continuing on in the morning, but I think that, I, I think you're right that, um, that for some that's a horror story and for some that's collapsing. And I think what I was trying to get at is the truth is, you know, the truth is it's both. It's, it's both a relief that, that things didn't that the world didn't end and it's horrifying that the atrocities continue i guess so i also think the last scene with saul in mookie needed to be in there because it shows the actual dynamic between white and black individuals because as much as the white savior thinks he's helping everyone else when it comes down to it when he's at his bare bones he's still going to degrade the black guy He's still going to throw money at him. He's still going to belittle him. And there's that point in tension where Mookie's like, I'm not, you can, I'll give you the 50 bucks later, but like, I'm not going to pick up those extra $200. And Sal makes no movement to pick them up. And he's like, no, take them, take them. Like, you fucking deserve it. Like, I hate you. Whatever. And they do the shot right as the scene ends of Mookie picking up the last $200. And it shows, even when they're on the same moral platitude, he still has to degrade himself. He still has to pick up the crumpled bill off the side of the walk, uh, the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. His friend died. He didn't throw the trash can in because he was trying to divert the angry mob away from the family that he worked for. Mookie grew up with Radio Reham. Reham? Rahim. Rahim. Sorry. Radio Reham. And he saw him murdered before his very eyes. There is no reason he should take any other path than complete and other utter destruction of the thing that ultimately killed him. I, I, I think that the best I can sort of touch on that is just sort of what I said earlier, which is that I think that this movie lives in the gray areas, and I think it's somewhere it's it's somewhere that Spike Lee is best when he explores. I think the times he really frustrates me is when he's like, he's like, no, you're not getting it. Like, this is what I'm saying. And I'm like, I got it the first 
five times you told me that. And like, I, I don't disagree with you. I understand. Ex- like, but like, you don't need to like, I know what you're saying. Give you an example. Like, like at the end of black Klansman, it, it cuts forward to footage of, of sort of like Charlottesville and riots that are happening now and police violence and stuff that happens after the story that existed entirely in the 70s. And he was basically like... I cry when you talk about that shit. Sorry. I'm sorry. No. And and he's basically like, no, 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 this is still happening today. But like, when he's doing a story about like the... When he's doing a movie about the KKK in the 70s and it's coming out in 2017 in the era of Trump, I understand why he's doing that. Like, I can draw that connection. Sometimes I get frustrated when he's like, no, no, this... Because of, and I'm like, I, I get it. And I think that, and I think that, um, this movie has a little bit of that where he's very like, you know, he's very like, no, 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 like you don't understand, like this is the way it is. But I think, I think that there's, because, because his characters are shades of gray, I think it, um, it works in a way that some of his newer movies and some of his other movies um, aren't as effective, if that makes sense. Can I can I reinterpret? Yeah. I think what you're trying to say is that Spike Lee wants his message to get across. And in this movie, he has a lot more gray areas than he does in his normal movies. And he allows for his characters to represent those gray areas. And you see it in the Korean family that opens the shop across the way. You see it in the right. Latinx community that is playing music too loud. You see it in a lot of different ways. I mean, there's the most hateful part of this whole movie, besides Radio Reham getting killed, is when they do, what is it, four or five different shots of... Um, people sort of are, 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 are you talking about like the racist slurs the racist slurs but they do yeah. yeah the the five or the five or four different shots of the racist slurs and they go from race to race to race to show that one white people hate everyone but two races hate everyone and it, which is really powerful because at one point I think at one of the most crucial points where Radio Reham's getting pulled away in the car, obviously dead, the Korean shop owner runs after them banging on the car. And you see him banging on the car and being one of the fiercest aggressors to the police brutality. Yeah. Yeah, no, completely. Completely. Um, Yeah, and I think it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily. I I think that part of it is that this movie, you know, his message, like you're saying, has more gray areas, and part of it is just like, you know, like I like I was getting out with the Black Klansman thing. It's just like, even if his message doesn't have gray areas, like I get what he's saying, and I think sometimes he doesn't trust his audience to understand what he's saying. When you let ego play into your narrative more then your trust in the audience and trust in your creativity, it warps the message. Mm -hmm. And you have to let your creativity and your 
your belief in the message shine through. And if you don't have that belief, you're going to have a really weird product. We are running pretty long here. Oh my God. And you have work tomorrow. I do. Have you, have you given any thought to your line movie, line? movie line? I movie have book? because I was scared. And so I'm going to do oh a God. line from Pride and Prejudice. Yes. And I'm going to either do it. You can choose Valley Girl, Lilo and Stitch, Gollum. I was initially leaning Lilo and Stitch, but I think I'm going to go Valley Girl. Are you sure? Because Valley Girl's pretty bad. <laughs> Lilo and Stitch. That's, exactly, that's exactly why I won. <laughs> I, I'll do it all three because, like, honestly, my Lilo and Stitch. You should, you should switch a third of the way through. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely I'm going to do that. the opening line of Pride and Prejudice, which is in every single... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It is, uni- it is a universal truth acknowledged that a single man in good possession of a good fortune must be one of a wife. Oh my god, really? Oh my god, very. Oh, Bet. wow. Thank you, Jamie. Thank You're you. welcome. It's been awesome. It's been amazing. You're fantastic. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cineflag, and I will see you next week.